Um, we are picking up at Matthew, the 21st chapter. And we'll get through the 21st chapter of Matthew uh, today. Just a few chapters left in Matthew. Um, we are now in the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Uh, he's on earth for 33 years. Uh, he's been ministering for three years. They eventually, at the end of this week, will take him, crucify him. And I think they will have finally beaten him. But of course, then Easter Sunday morning, he rises from the dead and off to the races we go. This is the Holy Week. This is, we celebrate this every year with Palm Sunday. This is the big triumphant entry that Jesus gave into the city. And then that week, and then they finally get him. Now, he comes into Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen. He has warned his disciples. This is no surprise to him. I'm going to Jerusalem. They will arrest me. They will crucify me, but I will be raised again on the third day. Even though he told them repeatedly what was going to happen, they were shocked when it happens, which just shows people don't really listen. <laughs> they think they're listening, but they're not really listening. So who knows? But uh, so he comes into Jerusalem, the big celebration. Da, 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 da. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he comes into Jerusalem, and now he just starts wreaking havoc in Jerusalem. And going after the religious leaders of the day, particularly, he insults them intensely, which we are going to read about in a little bit and over the next few weeks as we wrap this up. Uh, they hated him. They hated him. They've hated him ever since he started. But they really hate him now. Uh, the only reason they haven't arrested him now is they're afraid to arrest him during the day. Remember, Jesus was followed by multitudes of people. This is the Middle East. To this day in the Middle East, you don't get a crowd upset. <laughs> These people go crazy. We see the pictures on your TV all the time. It's part of the culture. It was that culture then. It's still that culture now. 2,000 years ago, you get 10, 15, 20,000 people together and you tick them off. It's a bad day for you. All right? So they were afraid of the people. So what Jesus would do is he'd come in during the day, he'd preach, and then he'd leave at night and go outside the city. They didn't know where he was. If they knew where he was, they would have gotten him a long time ago. This was the big coup d'etat when Judas comes to them and said, I know where he is. I can show you where he is. That was the betrayal. If you remember, that's all he did. It's just he knew, and it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but that's what it was. You know, it wasn't like they had, you know, GPS trackers in the day. They didn't know where people were. So when Jesus, Judas comes and says, I'll tell you where he is. So they came, they arrested him in the middle of the night. There was nobody around. They tried him in the middle of the night, which was actually illegal. And they quickly rushed the whole thing through before any groups of followers of Jesus really had an idea of what was going on. They were crucifying him to a cross. And the whole thing uh, was over. Uh, so this is that week. And uh, he comes in and the first thing he does, he gets into town, he gets a whip, and he goes to the temple. He starts knocking over tables and smacking people upside the head. This is not exactly how to win friends and influence people. I mean, he was, you know, and they were, they were incensed that he would do this. But they couldn't do anything because they were afraid of the people. And, uh, and then Jesus would preach and teach and would egg them on, rebuking these religious leaders because they were clueless. So we pick it up at verse 28. Another day now Jesus is teaching in, in the temple. He says, now what do you think? 
There was a man who had two sons. This is one of my favorite parables of Jesus. He says, he goes to the first son and says, son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son says, no, I don't want to work in your stupid vineyard. Why do I got to do anything around here? I'm not going to go. It's the different version of the Bible. <laughs> I should do my own living version. <laughs> I will not go, he said. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father comes to son number two and says the same thing. Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he says, yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, sir, for this opportunity to serve you. I'm thrilled. This is going to be fabulous. I'm telling you, we're going to have a great, great day. It's going to be totally awesome. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And they answered to him correctly, well, the first. I love this parable because it goes to the heart of one of the biggest problems that we have in Christianity today, actually in our culture uh, as a whole today, and that is people live by their feelings. Their feelings determine what they do or do not do, and as long as you have a good heart, and as long as you intended the right things. There's a great saying, um, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. All kinds of people intend good things. But it doesn't mean jack squat. Doesn't care what you felt one way or another. It matters not what you feel. It matters what you do. And I know I beat this horse every chance I get. And I probably will till the day I die. And on the day I die and we have a big funeral. And by the way, you're all invited. Uh, <laughs> uh, come very sad. Uh, I hope they will say if there's one thing that marked this man's life is he beat this message you don't live by how you feel you do the right thing our culture today is totally dominated with feelings and how you feel we can't hurt anybody's feelings today the most offensive thing is not what you do to someone, it's how you make someone feel. And it's just gotten out of control. It's just totally insane. And, uh, and this has uh, totally impermeated the, uh, our, our, our thinking in the church because we're motivated by how we feel thinking that's the most important determining factor. And it is not. It doesn't matter how you feel. Now, it's great when you feel good. It's great if you feel passionate about something. But it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters at the end of the day what you do. Now, there is a day coming. There is a judgment day. All breathing men and women will someday stand before God on judgment day. Now, there are two judgment days. For those of you not very familiar with the Bible, it might sound a little shocking to you, but there's two. Uh, the second one is, is the really bad one. That's the judgment day of people who have rejected God. The judgment of the wicked. You don't want to be there. <laughs> on that day. If they call your name on that day, this is a bad day for you. Okay? These are the people at the end of the day will be cast for eternity 
into the lake of fire. You say, do you actually believe there is a lake of fire? Yes, I do. You say, well, I don't believe it. Well, that doesn't put the fire out. I'm telling you, there's, there's a day coming. You need to take it seriously. Now, the good news, there is a judgment day before that. This is the judgment day of believers. These are people, we don't get judged on whether or not we're going to heaven and hell. We're going to heaven, not because of anything that you do, quite frankly, you can't earn it. This is the area where it's just God's grace and thank God for his grace that he's made this possible. You put your hope and trust in Christ, uh, your sins are forgiven and you are promised eternal life. But there's still going to be a judgment day for us. And on that day, the Bible says, we will give account. Everyone is going to give an account. Everybody someday will stand before Almighty God as believers, I'm talking, and we will have to give an account for how we lived our lives. And the Bible says specifically, we will ju be judged by what we did, not by what we felt, not by what we intended. God doesn't give 10 cents worth of opinion about your intentions. What we will give account for is how we feel. And good Lord, if that's one area of life we have to straighten out, it is that one. I hope you parents, above all in training your children, will teach them it doesn't matter what they feel. And they'll tell you about their feelings because they'll usually say, I don't feel like it. I want to do it. I don't want to study. I want to clean my room. I don't feel it. It doesn't matter what they feel. Do not yield to that and do not listen to that, incense, that, that nonsensical whining from them, okay? It only matters that they do it. Every time they tell you they don't want to do it, you should just break out giggling and say, that's great. That's awesome that you don't want to do it. Now shut up and do it, all right? It doesn't matter. You just need to do it. And we all know what it's like when they tell us they don't want to do it. You feel like laying hands on them, you know. You know, and little blessings, you know. But uh, anyway, we've got to learn this. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, it doesn't matter what we intended. It matters what we do. Uh, one of the areas where this is <laughs> the most demonstrated is uh, in campaigns, financial com campaigns like we're into. We're, we just started a two-year financial campaign. We have pledged uh, $1.2 million dollars. Where's our thing? There we go. 1.2. We're off to a great start. So far, 318,000 has come in. Everybody clap. Hallelujah. That's great. Day. All the campuses, Stevens Point's doing great. Appleton's doing great. Everybody is, uh, we're doing great with our goal of, of raising this money. Um, what is famous, though, and everybody will tell you this, which is sad, is it's gotten so bad that most churches no longer even expect to reach anywhere near what the pledges are. And they actually have percentages down. Now, I am trusting not only will we hit our 1.2, but we will exceed the 1.2. Because I'm believing as many of you start giving above and beyond for the first time in your life, it'll be the first time you'll actually put into practice the promises of the Bible where over and over and over again it says, promised if you will give, God will give back to you. That at the end of two years, you'll be in such a stronger financial position, you will have been able to give more than you had hoped in the first place. But lots of people start out in a blaze of glory, promising all kinds of stuff, and then don't do anything because we're thinking all that really matters is what we feel it is not. Now, there's a lot of people who didn't pledge anything but are giving. God bless you. They would be 
Uh, I would rather have that to be quite frank. I don't, you know, if we didn't have to take pleasures at all, it'd be awesome. I didn't, you know, it's just you got to do something to get people to focus. But uh, if you didn't pledge, but you're giving, great. You're like son number one. You know, I don't want to pledge, I'll just give. Fine with us. All that really matters at the end of the day is that you do, not that you feel. The Bible's very big on this. The Bible tells us that we need to be doers of the word, doers of truth, not just listeners. I, you know, it's great that you listen. Lots of people like to listen and listen to preachers and listen to Bible studies and blah, 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 blah. But they don't do anything. Their life is always a mess. They never really act on God's word. They just like to hear it. That's a bad place. We deceive ourselves thinking we're okay because we're listening. We deceive ourselves. We think we come to church. We live like hell, but we think we're okay because we go to church. A lot of people think this way. It's stunning. They deceive themselves. The Bible says, do not be that way. The Bible says that a person who just listens and doesn't do it is like someone who looks in a mirror and then turns around and forgets what they look like and doesn't do anything about it. Now, thank God for mirrors. Mirrors are great revealers of our state of appearance. Now, most of you listening to me right now look rather lovely. But my guess is most of you did not awaken looking this way. Some of you woke up this morning, you know, it's like, holy moly, you know, and you look in the mirror and, and thankfully you did something about it or you would have been frightening all the children as you came to church this morning. Uh, so, but you know, you did something about it. You didn't just look at it and go, whoa, that's nasty and walk away thinking, I, I guess I'm okay. Okay. Um, you did something about it. Don't be like, so, like someone who looks in a mirror and sees the horror and walks away thinking they're fine and grinning at everybody with eggs in your teeth, all right? Uh, you need to do something about it. That's the important thing here. That's what I love about this parable. Oftentimes, people are very great to say what they intend, and they're very passionate about it, but they don't actually do it. And we've been talking about for weeks now, as Jesus has been telling us about serving. Now, he used the analogy of a servant, he used the analogy of a slave, now he used the analogy of a father telling his sons what to do. The big part of Christianity we don't like to acknowledge is that a true servant is told what to do. Now, we're Americans. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. And in fact, we get very opinionated about what we should do, and if somebody doesn't agree with us, we basically tell them to stick it. Uh, and we do this in churches all the time. And we get so set in our ways and stuff. And I'm telling you, we need to have a servant's heart. What do you need of me? What are you asking of me? And be willing to serve. At your campuses this morning, we have the opportunity of serving, um, you know, in the church. We got these tables and stuff to show areas in the church where you can serve. And say, well, I don't really want to do it. Great, you're just the person we need. <laughs> I don't care what you want. If you look at it and go, ooh, I don't want to do that, sign up. That's what you ought to do. For heaven's sakes, just do it. Well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to put on my heart. You know, you're the one who's going to get a serious butt kicking on the day that you've got to give an account for yourself. God isn't waiting for you to sit around and wait what's on your heart. Find something to do and do it. And serve one another and put yourself in a situation where you answer to people. Now, we have a very spiritual, though very broken version where people say, well, I, I, don't, I don't serve men, I serve the Lord. It sounds very spiritual, but you're just an arrogant little snot that doesn't want to listen to anybody. The, by Jesus said, 
a servant, you will serve one another, he said. Serve each other. He didn't say serve me, although I mean other places he did, but when he's talking about being a servant, it was talking about serving one another. Yes, answering to men, other people, other people who have to give comments on what you do or do not do in the kingdom of God, and you just willingly serve. That's what a servant does. A servant just serves. <laughs> and I get it. Nobody likes to be a servant. Nobody grows up thinking, man. I want to be a servant someday. I just want someone to tell me what to do all day long. Nobody likes that. If anything, most of you are working as hard as you can to get in a position where nobody has to tell you what to do. Everybody wants to be the man who is in charge of the department or be in charge of the business or whatever. And even then, at the end of the day, everybody winds up answering to somebody. It's, it never ends. That's life, okay? A servant. We need to have a servant's attitude. What can I do? to advance the kingdom of God. And just and don't get so freaked out when someone asks you to do something or changes something. The only thing that has really ticked people off in the last seven years of Celebration Church's existence is when we change something. If we change the youth department, or we change the children's department, we change the singers on the stage, whatever you're and people go psycho crazy. This has happened repeatedly. At some point, this has got to stop. What is this? Get all mad. Oh, I don't like the way you change that. Seriously? How about you be a servant? Well, I don't feel God called me to... Really? What are you, Moses? I mean, just a little humility here. Just do what's asked of you to do. A little humility. Let me serve. And if we will serve, then we'll be the kind of servants God can use and bless. So anyway, he's telling us to these religious people who were great at saying the right things. They were fabulous at saying it, but they wouldn't do it the right things. Remember, these are the guys. They knew the Bible. They knew the Bible better than any of you people in here. They knew it like the back of their hands. They, they could pray eloquent. They were great, wonderful prayers publicly and all this kind of stuff. But they were rascals, all of them. And they were wicked on the inside. And Jesus got in their faces about it and was constantly challenging them. These are the guys, remember, Remember the Christmas account? The wise men come to Jerusalem because they followed the star. They knew the Messiah had come. And they said, the Messiah has come. We saw a star. Where is he? And it was the religious leaders who told him where he was. They said, well, he's, he's, in, he's in Bethlehem. That's what the Bible says. They knew the scriptures. Did any of them go? Not a one. It was these foreigners. They went, found him, worshipped, gave all this gold, incense, and myrrh, and and then went on their way. I mean, these guys, they knew the truth. They just never did anything about it. Do not get that. So anyway, he's getting in their face about that. So as soon as they said, well, that, the son number one, he's the one who did it because he just, he did it. It didn't matter what he said. And Jesus said, well, boys, truly I tell you that the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, I don't know if you have any idea how insulting that is. It is massively insulting to these religious people. He says, man, the hookers in the street corners are going to wind up in heaven before you ever will. Because even though they were doing the right thing, when they heard the truth, they repented and started doing the right thing. At the end of the day, that's what is important. And he goes on, he says, look, for John the Baptist came to show you how to live a way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors believed him. The prostitutes did. And even after you saw that, you didn't repent and believe him. Okay? 
So then he goes on. Now listen to another parable. Now he really insults them. He's going right, right for the jugular now. And uh, now to put it in context, you have to understand, over the thousands of years of Jewish history, God would speak to the people, they would rebel, and he would send prophets to try and jerk the slack out of them to get them to do the right thing. But they would ignore the prophets. They would ridicule the prophets. They would mock the prophets. They would beat the prophets. They would kill the prophets. They were out of control. This has been their history. Okay? And then, of course, eventually the Messiah comes, and what do they do to him? They kill him. So, here we go. He says, here's another parable, boys. He said, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. Well, the, the tenants seized the servants, and they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. This is the analogy of the prophets, okay? And then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And, they treat, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them, said, they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, the owners of the, therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do to those tenants? And the guys listening to him said, well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest. And Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures, and all these guys had, they knew the scriptures very well, this is a very popular portion of scripture they were aware of, and he quotes, and he says this scripture, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, uh, and the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This was a prophecy about the Messiah that was to come. They knew, he warned them, he says, the, the, the very key cornerstone is going to be rejected, but yet he'll become the cornerstone up, upon which the kingdom of God is built. He says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. That's the first hint that Jesus gave, that he knew what was coming. And that was after his death and resurrection, as they started to preach the gospel, he comes to the guys and he says, listen, you need to preach the gospel to everybody. It doesn't have to be just the Jews. In the beginning, all early Christians were only Jewish. They didn't even think you could become a Christian if you were not Jewish. If you read historically in the New Testament, we often say, well, the Jews rejected Jesus. They did not. I mean, the religious leaders did. But the people, by and large, did not reject Jesus. They didn't have a problem with Jesus, nor did they have that problem with Jesus as the Messiah. What ticked them off was when they came and said, well, now we can take the gospel to everybody, and all the non-Jews can come in, and they got mad as a hornet at that point. That's when they didn't want anything to do with it. So this is the first time um, uh, he hints that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from them and given to a people who will produce its fruit, which is anybody who believes, uh, which is all of us, okay? Gentiles, non-Jews. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom, on whom it falls, it will be crushed. They knew what he was saying. The Bible says in the very next verse, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And it just ticked them off. They were hacked. It wouldn't doubt, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be amazed at all that most people had no idea what he's talking about when he's talking. Oftentimes when Jesus talked and talked to these parables, they didn't know what he was saying. Even his own disciples would go, what are you talking about? Because they had no idea. But these guys, these leaders, they knew exactly what he was saying. 
And when he said this, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him, but were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And then, of course, eventually Judah steps forward and says, I'll tell you where he is. What's the lesson from today? Above all, what is important is that you do the right thing. Be a servant. Just do the right thing. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what you intend. You know, quit trying to live by whatever you think is in here. Do what is righteous and true. Learn the truth. Do the truth. Be a servant. Be kind. Now, that's not to say if God speaks you to do something that you don't do it. Sure, then do it. Fine. But short of that, find something to do. And then do it. Are you being a servant? Do you just come to church, listen, and walk away like someone who looks at the mirror and forgets what they look like? Don't be that way. Let's be doers of the word. Let's find places to get involved. Let's be servants of the Most High God. And my hope and my prayer. Look, at Celebration Church, we may not be the smartest people in the world. We may not be the most whatever in the world. But I hope that the one thing that marks us above all else is that we will be a church where people are servants, where there is this culture that permeates who we are, that we are here to serve others. What can I do to minister to you to help advance the cause of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up the eyes of people, the hearts of your followers, Lord. Help us to understand what it means to be a servant. Help us, Lord, to realize that it doesn't matter how we feel to the initial requests in our lives, or whether a pastor asks us to do one thing or someone asks us to do something else. We may like it or not like it is irrelevant. We might be like the first son who goes, ah, I don't like this. But at the end of the day, we do what we're asked to do. Give us servant hearts so that we can be the kind of people. And most of all, help us to be doers of the word and not just listeners. This I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen.